at some level, I think the question that ended that video that we just watched is actually the fundamental question that needs to be grappled with when it comes to our understanding of the person of Jesus. In general, I would phrase the question like this, who is Jesus and what was Jesus all about? What is the message that, you know, in the video talked about being carried all over the world? Because by any measure, Jesus is a truly remarkable figure in human history. He was the kind of person that history should have forgotten. Born a, a peasant tradesman in the middle of backwater nowhere, has a brief public career which is cut short by a tragic and ignoble death, crucified on a Roman cross like, like hundreds and thousands of Jews before him in the first century whose names we don't remember. Jesus should have been one of the anonymous masses, the the failed political religious figures of the first century that history forgot. And yet, like the video says, fast forward, you know, 21 centuries, and here is Jesus' name known all over the globe. The movement he started is the only world religion to have a significant presence on every single continent on our planet with the possibility of Antarctica. I haven't interviewed any penguins, but um, a third, a full third of human beings alive on our planet say that Jesus has had a significant impact in their life. I mean, at some level, those kinds of stats alone merit us asking the question, who is this guy and what was he all about? And I think honestly, for those of us who live and who have grown up in the West where Christianity is a little more pervasive, maybe we even get a little bit more confused about who Jesus is because Jesus' face and his um, name and his message get co-opted and used and interpreted in all sorts of divergent ways that each contain a grain of truth but in some ways are just like hashtag fake news, right? For example, Jesus in recent days has been cast somewhat as a public revolutionary, a a political figure who has come to be co-opted by both the, the conservative and liberal political agendas to try and serve as the poster child for their fundamental political beliefs. So for example, on the conservative side of the agenda, if you pay attention to media or social media in the last couple of years, you'll have seen Jesus' image being used for political purposes, images like this one, or Jesus leaning over Donald Trump and helping him sign a piece of legislation, the kinds of laws that reflect who Jesus is, is the implication in the picture. And the conservative political agenda is rooted in the conviction that what we've lost in society is a sense of personal responsibility, that our social structures have eroded. We've lost um, prayers in the schools and, and you know, uh, Bible readings. You can't post the Ten Commandments in public, uh, you know, in some places, especially south of the border. This, this erosion of the public institutions of faith that have meant the loss of family values, the loss of morality, the loss of personal responsibility and a strong work ethic. And in this context, Jesus gets roped into the political agenda as the one 
who will teach us how to be the people that we're supposed to be. The one who will reinforce biblical morality. The one who will, who will hold us accountable to be personally responsible. To be, to be the people that we know that we're supposed to be. And yet it's not just the political right that co-ops the image of Jesus. The political left love use, loves using Jesus as well. Take a look at this picture. One of many I tried to return, but Trump stopped me at customs, (laughs) right? The idea on the political left is that what is broken in our culture is not personal responsibility, but there are systems, our institutions have become beholden to a systemic brokenness, whether that's racism or poverty or the marginalization of minority groups. We live in a society where men and women have not been created equal. And the, and the left kind of uses the person of Jesus as this figurehead for tolerance and inclusion and love and mercy. And the message of the political left is if the, our public institutions could regain these values of Jesus, then our society would be, um, that we could kind of leave behind the broken past and move into a future that's filled with hope and change. Right? The conservatives want to make society great again. And the liberals want hope and change. And they both say Jesus is the key. And at some level there are grains of truth to who Jesus is being portrayed. In both of those kinds of images. But at the end of the day that's not who Jesus is. And that's not the good news of the message of Jesus. That's fake news. There's a whole other set of interpretations of Jesus that are less about public polity and much more about private spirituality. Where Jesus is interpreted as a figure who's going to change me on the inside as an individual. He's a, he's a teacher of public morality, right? Jesus is the one who teaches us to love and not to hate. To respect instead of lust. To be faithful instead of breaking relationships. To tell the truth instead of lying. To forgive instead of revenge. To be generous instead of greedy and, and merciful instead of judgmental. Jesus is the one who teaches us to include all and to be generous to all and to be welcoming to all just the way that he was in his life and the good news um, you know if the good news of Jesus as a public figure is that if we were just follow Jesus our society could be better Um, the good news with the Jesus of private spirituality is if I would just follow Jesus I could be a better person Or Jesus is sometimes interpreted, this is more of an Oprah Jesus. Interpreted as a teacher of higher consciousness. That he takes his place in the pantheon of of religious teachers through history of Confucius and Buddha and Moses and Muhammad and others. As those, it is said, who found a way to find that inner divine spark to tap into the truth about who they really are and to transcend the limitations of their humanity and the the good news of the Oprah Jesus, the teacher of spiritual truths or um, the guide to spiritual higher consciousness is that if we were just follow Jesus, we could actually realize the full potential of who we were created to be as a human being. Or 
in other people's interpretation, kind of an opposite interpretation, the same two themes and yet interpreted negatively. There are those for whom Jesus is a, a savior from the judgment of God. That we have so messed up morally and we have so failed to become the people that God has created us to be, to rise above our limitations and failures. That God is angry and his judgment is coming, but Jesus uh, intervenes by dying on the cross to forgive our sins. And the good news of that Jesus is that if you follow that Jesus, you can go to heaven and not hell. He'll save you from the, the judgment of God. And again, in the Jesus of private spirituality, there is a grain of truth to all of those understandings. But on the whole, any one of those understandings is, is not the good news, it's fake news. Time and time again, if you go back to the New Testament of the Bible, the good news about Jesus, about what his message is, is summarized in a very simple phrase. It sounds like this, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The good news in the New Testament is this simple phrase, Jesus is Lord. Actually, ironically, it's a co-opted political slogan from the first century Roman Empire. It was a phrase that um, every time there was a new emperor in the Roman Empire, this was the public proclamation was Caesar Augustus is Lord or Caesar Claudius is Lord or Caesar Nero is Lord. That was called the good news. The gospel was that so-and-so is Lord, and the implication of the message was very specific, that now that Caesar Augustus has become the emperor over the Roman Empire, he is going to begin to implement the kinds of policies, the right sorts of ways of being the Roman Empire together. He's going to start implementing right policies in the right time, in the right way, to encourage right actions in such a way that will guide our earthly existence towards this bliss that we've never experienced before. In Roman political terms, they called it the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. This ideal vision of an empire that was at peace with all of its neighbors, where warfare and conflict had ceased. And in the midst of that peace, prosperity and abundance began to emerge. And the quality of life of everybody in the empire, theoretically, was supposed to, to go up. And those who would cooperate with Caesar's agenda would find themselves happy and blessed and have their lives changed by this peace that they were experiencing for the first time. And those who refused to cooperate with Caesar's agenda would find themselves punished and removed from the equation. They would miss out on the opportunity to experience the vision of what life in the empire was supposed to be. And when the New Testament writers were reaching for language to describe who Jesus is and what he is all about, this was the language they picked. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the ruler over everything. Jesus is the one who sits on the throne of the universe and who has the sovereign authority to guide 
human history in the direction of hope and peace. This is the message. That Jesus is Lord, which means that Caesar isn't. That we don't look to Caesar for hope and peace. We don't look to a political strategy. We don't look to the economy. We don't look to education. We don't look to science and technology. We don't look to the rule of law. We don't look to the charter of rights and freedoms. We don't look to anything other than Jesus, who is Uh, on the throne of the universe to be the one who is guiding all of human history towards life and peace. Peace for the Jews was a significant word, the word shalom. It didn't mean the absence of conflict. It meant the presence of wholeness and healing, the presence of reconciliation and restoration of that which is broken, the presence of true life and real love. It was life in all of its fullness and abundance. The message of the New Testament is that the Jesus who sits on the throne of the universe is our only hope for the life of abundance and peace that God wants for us. Jesus, the Bible tells us, sits on the throne of the universe by virtue of his life and his death and his resurrection. If you go back to Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that middle part, And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That sort of implies the whole life story of Jesus. His life and his death and his resurrection. Elsewhere, I'll read the verse now that was just up on the screen. In Philippians chapter 2, the same writer talks about Jesus' life. He says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who... Being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The writer says, who is Jesus? Jesus is the God of the universe who assumed a human life and came to live with us in the midst of human history. That's who Jesus is. A human being who by virtue of his life shows us exactly what God is like. And what is God like? The text says God is the kind of God who doesn't consider God's power and privilege to be something to be used for God's own advantage. Instead, God's power and privilege is something that is to be leveraged sacrifice on God's part in order to leverage his power and privilege for the sake of bringing healing into somebody else's life. When you look at Jesus, you see exactly what God is like. Jesus is the human being who radiated the character of God into the world. And the character and nature of God is the character of self-sacrificing love. That's who Jesus is. In a sense, like the video says, you know, was he just a man or was he something more? The Bible says he was something more. And at the same time, 
He was a human being like all of us, with one exception, with one exception. The Bible says Jesus was a human being without sin. The word sin just means to miss the mark of being the person that God wants you to be. Jesus unfailingly radiated the self-giving love of God into the world, which makes him different than me because I'm a person who fails regularly to radiate the self-giving love of God into the world. And it is that self-giving love that carried Jesus all the way to the cross. In Philippians 2, it says this, and being, this is the very next verse, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even to death on the cross. Jesus continued to give of himself right unto death. And he died a death on a Roman cross in order to um, defeat the power of sin at work in the world. So the Bible says that sin has a power all of its own. It has the power to destroy the sinner. And everything the sinner loves and everything the sinner touches. It has the power to destroy our spirit. It has the power to destroy our bodies. It has the power to destroy our relationships. It has the power to destroy our planet. It has the power to destroy society. Sin has the power to destroy. And Jesus went to the cross in order to allow sin, that power to destroy, by the way, is called death. Jesus went to the cross and died though he didn't deserve to because he had never sinned. He allowed sin to unleash its power on him in order that Jesus might defeat the power of sin by his death. You see what I mean? Jesus, who didn't deserve to die, accepted the, the consequence of sin in and of himself so that those of us who have sinned and deserve to die don't have to. And three days later, the Bible says God raised Jesus from the dead. This is how the story ends in Philippians 2. It says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. He raised him from the dead and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When God raises Jesus from the dead, what he's saying is the power of Jesus' love is greater than the, the self-destructive power of sin and death. See, if sin, if sin brings death to life, then the one who comes back to life after death has defeated the power of sin. That's what Paul means when he says, believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Believe in your heart that the God who shows up on earth as Jesus Christ, who died the innocent, sinless death on the cross and who was raised to life has defeated the power of sin in your life and in our world, which is what makes him the Lord over everything. Because if Jesus has defeated the power of sin, that changes everything, right? If Jesus has defeated the power of the sin, then Jesus is greater than the power of the sin from your past. Jesus has defeated the sin of your past with the power of forgiveness, right? Jesus enters in 
by virtue of his death and resurrection, enters into your life and sets you free from the guilt and the shame of the person you have been. Jesus has the power to destroy the sin in your present, the sin that grips your life, the sin that is embedded in your soul. Jesus has the power through, the death and re- through his death and resurrection to defeat that power of sin through transformation. He can make you a brand new person. He can make our world a brand new place. If Jesus has defeated the power of sin, then he defeats the power of sin in the future. Then he has the power from the throne of the universe in his sovereign authority to be guiding the future of humanity towards a future of hope and wholeness, of reconciliation and restoration, of life and of love. Until one day he returns and completes the work of remaking the world to be the kind of place that God always dreamed it would be, a place that is filled with shalom, with abundance and peace and wholeness and life and love. And he invites us, this is the invitation, of that's the good news of Jesus, that Jesus is Lord. By virtue of his death, his life and death and resurrection, he has defeated the power of sin and now has the power to bring forgiveness and transformation into your life and to change the trajectory, not just of your life, but of the future of our planet. And now here's the invitation. Jesus wants you to be a part of that. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, it says this, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God is another way of saying Jesus sits on the throne of the universe. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is what the world is like, what relationships are like, what I am like when Jesus is allowed to be the sovereign authority over my life and defeat the power of sin in me and among us. And Jesus says, here's how you begin to experience that. You repent and you believe. The word repent to many of us, to our ears, it sounds like what Jesus means. You gotta feel bad about what you've done and apologize and ask for forgiveness. And and that's a part of it. But to Jewish ears, The word repent is a Hebrew word that means to return. Implicit in the idea of repentance is the acknowledgement that I have wandered off the path, that I have become something that I was never intended to become. I've become something other than what God wanted me to be. I have spent my life doing something other than radiating the self-sacrificing love of God into the world, which is called sin. And to repent is to turn away from what I have been and to return to what God has invited me to be, created me to be. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. In the Greek language, the word repent literally means to change your mind. 
to change your mind about how to experience healing and wholeness, to change your mind about where I'm going to find reconciliation and restoration, how I'm going to experience life and love, to stop pursuing those things in all of this stuff over here and instead to decide that I'm going to find these things by submitting my life to the sovereign authority of Jesus. Remember, Jesus is Lord. If you align yourself with the agenda of Jesus, you experience the happiness, the blessing, the benefit of living life in line with what God is doing in the world. And if you reject it, you'll miss it. And so to repent is to return to what God has invited us into. To believe is to put your faith in Jesus rather than putting your faith in anything else. To experience redemption in life. Not putting your faith in politics, not putting your faith in the economy, not putting your faith in education, not putting your faith in science and technology or the rule of law or any other system, putting your faith in what Jesus can do. First of all, believing that Jesus is who he says he is. God come to earth to, to show us in human life what God is like, who died and was raised to defeat the power of sin in us and in the world. To believe that that's true. But secondly, to trust Jesus. To live a life trusting that if we go the Jesus way, we will experience the peace and the hope that Jesus promises. To trust that obedience to Jesus is the way to experience the fullness and abundance of life that God promises. It means to live a life of faithfulness. To stick with Jesus for better or for worse, in sickness and health, richer or poorer, perseveringly, devotedly clinging to the person of Jesus no matter what. That's faith. And Jesus says, the good news is that Jesus is Lord and has defeated the power of sin. And you can experience that in your life if you'll just Return to the way that Jesus is inviting you in and trust that Jesus enough to believe that he is the only way and experience the forgiveness and the transformation and the hope for the future. Jesus says that that changes everything. Here's how he describes it in Matthew 22. It says, Jesus replied, this is his central commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus says, if you repent and put your faith in me, I will revolutionize your, the life of your inner world. You will encounter a love from God like nothing else you have ever encountered or experienced before. You will begin to see yourself as someone that God has loved so much that he came for you and died for you, was raised for you so that your life could be revolutionized, so the world could be revolutionized. And in realizing the depth to which God loves you, you will begin to learn by the power of the Holy Spirit to respond to God in love. 
with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with your whole being, with everything you are, with all of your personhood and all of your personality, with all of your mind, you'll learn to, to come to know God and to know what God wants from you, to understand what God is inviting into you. Another version of this verse says, with all of your strength, with all of your passion, with all of your zeal, with all of your energy, every moment of every life of your life, devoting yourself to loving God, to worshiping God, to being devoted to him, to praying to him, to being obedient to him because of what he has done for you. And as you begin to live out, live into the love for God and to live out a love for God, you will find your identity begins to change. That suddenly you now look at yourself differently. You are now Nothing else but the beloved of God. The one who God felt was worthy of his love. Not because of anything you've done. Not because you've earned it. Not because you were good enough or religious enough. Or better than so and so. Or you tried hard. Or you served this person. Or you gave money at the office. Or whatever. it. You can't earn it. You are worthy of being loved. By virtue of the fact that you exist. And once you begin to realize that that's who you are, the one that God loves with everything God has, now your inner world begins to change. Now you get free from your shame because of God's shameless love. You get freed from your guilt because of God's forgiving love. You get freed from your fear because of God's trustworthy love. You get freed from your brokenness because of God's healing love. You begin to become the wholest, fullest version, healthiest version of you that you have ever been. This is the, the journey. And as you become a different you, secure in your identity of being loved by God. Jesus begins to change your outer world. Suddenly now you discover that you have the capacity to love other people the way God has loved you. Because you no longer fear rejection because you know you'll never be rejected because God will never reject you. Now you have the freedom to just love other people for who they are to take joy in who God has created them to be, to live in relationships of peace, which is not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of wholeness and fullness and well-being. You, you discover new depths of patience where you're willing to put up with the stuff that people throw your way. You begin to learn how to be kind and how to do good and how to stay committed to stick with it even when it's hard how to treat people gently how to exercise self-control in every circumstance you begin to learn to love people the way you would want to be loved and to care about other people as much as you care about yourself and as this community of people forms who are learning to love each other that way, the love of God that gets poured into each of us and gets poured into us as a community begins to spill out of us in the world. And the world outside of the church begins to experience the love of God because of what Jesus has done, who Jesus is and what he has done. And now all of a sudden, the world begins to change. 
because of the love of Jesus. Suddenly, the politics begin to change. Not because we've put our faith in a political system, but because we've decided to see what happens when we fill the political system with the love of Jesus. The economy begins to change, not because we put our faith in economics, but because we've decided to live our economy personally and communally and societally by by filling it with the love of Jesus. We begin to fill health care with the love of Jesus and immigration with the love of Jesus and education with the love of Jesus. And we begin to write laws that reflect the love of Jesus for everybody. And what begins to happen is that the world begins to change. That Jesus begins to defeat the power of sin, not just in me or among us, but around the world. Jesus begins to root sin out of the way the world works and he begins to bend human history in the direction of radiating the love of God. And the kingdom of God begins to come on earth in exactly the way that Jesus imagines it on his throne in heaven where he sits in sovereign authority over everything. And people begin to see what life and the world would be like when Jesus is Lord. Paul says, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord in a way that reveals the beauty of the goodness and love of God that he's pouring into our creation through Jesus. That, my friends, is good news. And I invite you to choose to be a part of it. Let's pray. Father, I'm sorry for all the ways that we've misrepresented Jesus. And I thank you, the ways we've reduced him and co-opted him and all that. I just thank you for who Jesus is. The one who reflects your life and your love into the world, who died and was raised to defeat the power of sin, to bring forgiveness and transformation and hope, to bend the course of human history towards peace and life in love. Would you help us to hear in the midst of that good news your invitation to choose Jesus? And Father, if there are those who are here this morning who have never made that decision, would they not leave here this morning until they've decided uh, to align their life with what you want to do in them through Jesus? We pray that for those of us who are living to do that by the power of your Spirit, that we would in increasing ways put on display the good news that Jesus is Lord by the way we radiate your self-sacrificing love to the world, that we would be the good news that people hear. For Jesus' sake and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.